couple things I want to speak to real quick. Uh, one of those is in Wednesday's paper. Uh, there was an article about Mission Solano that I'd like to speak to if I could. Uh, I didn't read the article. Uh, while I was away, yeah, I didn't read it. Uh, well, first of all, I already kind of know what's going on. And sometimes the paper doesn't always get stuff right. Uh, but my understanding is this particular article did get most stuff right. And, uh, but just so you, you're aware, you know, a few months ago, probably five or six months ago, I chose to, uh, join the board of Mission Solano. And let me tell you why I did that. And those of you who aren't familiar with Mission Solano, basically what it does is it, it offers sheltering, uh, for people who are homeless and then also points them to, uh, the gospel and how, uh, that there's hope in Christ. And so that's what Mission Solano is about and it has been about for the last 19 years. In the last 19 years, Mission Solano's had a lot of very, very good days. God has used the mission in a great way to help a lot of people, you know, including one of our own, you know, uh, Renee. Uh, God really used the, the mission in her life, and just as God used our church in her life and, and Renee Pousseau. And, and, um, <clears throat> and the mission has, in recent years, gone through some extremely difficult uh, circumstances and challenges. And so with that, when, uh, when Ron Marlette stepped down from being the executive director, I felt like it was important at that time that, um, that I needed to step up and be on the board. And uh, we needed a pastor uh, of a local church that was a, a part of the board. And, 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 and let me tell you why I did that. Um, I did it for a couple of reasons. And if I, I've already mentioned this to you, I apologize. My brain is... I'm on cough, uh, cold medicine and stuff this morning. So, uh, so, uh, but, but, uh, the reason I did it is I really believe with all my heart, I believe this people, and, and this is something you've got to believe this too, because this is truth. And this is truth. This is just foundational truth is that this community, this community desperately needs this church. Okay. It does. This community needs this church, and this community needs our church to be healthy. It does. And, and it needs that, not just from our church, but every church in our community. And, and to be honest with you, we need a lot more healthy churches in this community. We do. Uh, this community needs us. Uh, it needs the hope that the local church stands for. It needs Christ. It needs the Word of God. It needs gospel friendships and partnerships. It needs that. And, and, and people may not articulate that. People may not understand it. It is just, it's just truth. It is the truth. Uh, but the other thing that this community needs is we have a huge homeless population. And we need a gospel mission. And when I say a gospel mission, what I mean is that, yeah, we need to provide housing for the homeless. And we need to provide food, but we need to provide more. We need to provide hope. And there's hope in the person of Christ. And see, Christ has the ability and, and the gospel is the power of God to change lives. And so I believe that our community desperately needed not just our church and other churches, but it needs a gospel mission. <laughs> and so I stepped up to be on the board. Now, I also stepped up because I know what it's like to be on a board that um, that goes south and and I've been on that before uh, with uh, with another organization, and I was a part of the transition and, and the new board. And, and today, that that 
Association of Churches is in a really, really healthy place. In fact, I was invited back on the board again. I just felt so bad having to say no because I'm like, you know, this is the time to be on the board when it's fun. You know what I mean? That's the time to be on a board is when it's fun and you've kind of gotten through the hard stuff. And um, But I just I told Dave Whitaker, uh, who's the executive director for Next Gen Churches, I said, no, right now I really need to serve with, with the mission because the mission needs me. So bottom line, this is where we're at, is there are two different kinds of bankruptcy. Uh, one is Chapter 7. That means that you are going to close the doors, never to open them again. Uh, you are putting an end to it forever, okay? There's a second kind of bankruptcy that's reorganization. It's called Chapter 11. That's what we're talking about. Basically, what it does is it gives away properties that we uh, currently cannot meet uh, uh, the the financial demands on it gives it back to the people that have the mortgage. And so they're free to resell it, and they get money back as opposed to getting nothing from the mission. That's basically what we're trying to do is getting rid of that debt so that we can focus everything on serving the homeless. Does that make sense? So that's because that's where uh, we need is we need to take the resources we have and apply it to, to helping the homeless. Now, now this is what happens typically when you go through Chapter 11, okay? Your board steps down, okay? And the reason that the board steps down is why? Because, because we're the ones who got us in the trouble we're in, right? So we step down to make room for a new board, a healthier board, to help transition uh, the mission forward. So there's a very good chance that I will probably be resigning from that role, that I'll go back on the board with next gen and do the fun stuff. Uh, just kidding. So um, so the, the thing is, is that that's not an absolute certain because I came on the board so late uh, that it, it's not nece- there's not the same necessary perception with me. But the thing is, is we have to do what's right and best for the mission. Okay? Does that make sense? And, and so I've told the executive director, uh, Brandon Worth, and, it, you know, I'm willing to do whatever. You know, I, I'm willing to step aside, let someone else step up. That's fine with me. I, I have no problem with that. But I'm also available to continue to serve if that's what they need as well. But I just kind of felt like that because I'm the pastor of your church and because our, we've been involved in the mission, you just kind of need to know what's going on. Is that, does that make sense? But what I will tell you is that Shauna Hughes, who's a member of our own church, who's our COO, is doing a fantastic job of leading the operations of our mission. And I believe that Brandon Worth, our new executive director, is doing a fantastic job as well. And, and what we've got to do is we've got to rebuild trust with the city of Fairfield. We've got to rebuild trust with the county of Solano. And, and we have to rebuild partnerships with businesses uh, in the private sector. And, and we've got to rebuild trust and relationships with our churches so that we can do a fantastic job of housing our homeless and then pointing them to the hope that we have in Christ. So just kind of wanted to bring you up to speed on that uh, real quick. Uh, real quick also, I just kind of want to remind you of what we are about as a church. And, and one of the things you've heard me say before, and this is important for what we're doing right now, going through the book of Philippians, okay? We've been, we started a study a few weeks ago on the book of Philippians, Today, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And one of the things that I have told you, <coughs> and I will continue to tell you until I die, or, you know, with a coughing fit or whatever, uh, but uh, until Jesus calls me home, that, that the church is who we are, 
The church is not a service we attend on Sunday mornings. The church is not a building. But the church is who we are. It's who we are. The church is who we are when we follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus. Not just attend a service, but when we follow Jesus and live his mission together. Does that, does that make sense? The church is who we are when we follow Jesus and live his mission together. And in our church, we have five values that are very important for us because these values don't just simply define what we do, but they define how we do everything we do. And these values, they shape the way we look at our budget. They shape the way we look at our calendar. They shape the way we think about the different programs that we might have. They shape the way we do our Sunday mornings. They shape everything. And that first value that we have is this, is that everyone matters. We really believe that. We believe everyone matters. We believe that everyone matters to God. We believe that every single person in this room, every single person in this room matters to God. And we believe that every single person in every single house behind this building right now matters to God. We believe that every single person in this community matters to God enough that Jesus came and died for them. And because they matter to God, they matter to us. But everyone matters. That's one of our values. Secondly is community-focused. Community-focused. It is very easy for us as individuals to be self-centered. Would you agree with that? Yeah, okay. It's easy for us as individuals to be self-centered. And it's easy for churches to become inwardly focused. And we believe that the church isn't the church unless we exist for someone other than ourselves. Uh, The words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That, that we believe that we need to be community-focused, that we want to focus on meeting needs of people in our community to build bridges for the gospel. That's why we do things like Week of Hope, where we take a week of vacation together, the third week of July, and we go out and we serve the people in our community that Jesus loves. We serve them, and we serve them in the name of Jesus, and then we invite them to a celebration of hope, a barbecue, and a concert where we get to share with them the reason for our hope. But we, we want to be community-focused. That, that third, that, that relationally warm, relationally warm. I, I, that what we, we want to create safe places for people to connect and grow. I believe that all of us, we need that. We need safe places. We need safe people in our lives where we can connect and where we can grow. And our fourth value is that, 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 that Scripture lived, is that this book right here, that we, we don't learn Scripture just to know Scripture, but we learn Scripture to live Scripture. Okay? But Scripture lived. And then finally, that fifth value that's so important that I feel like is a recently discovered value, and right now I would say it's an aspirational value, meaning that we need to, how, that we need to learn how to live this one a little bit better. But that fifth value is, is next step discipleship. Next step discipleship. And what we mean by that is that we want to be next step followers of Jesus. Next step followers of Jesus, people who are eager to take the next step in following him. See, for the rest of your life, there are going to be steps you need to take. Did you know that? There's never going to be a time in your life where you're not going to be facing a new and a next step. See, this is just a part of life, is that that we, we there's always this next step. And sometimes, to be honest with you, sometimes... We can be at this place, a crossroads, 
or we can be at a place where we're facing adversity or whatever, but we, we come to these places sometimes and we can feel stuck. And we're not always sure what that next step looks like. But what we want to be is we want to be those people who are eager to take the next step in following Jesus, right? Okay? Even when we're not exactly sure what that step is. And that's why in those next step opportunities, we're always praying and asking God, what's the next step that you're wanting me to take? Um, real quick, and then I'll launch into our message, a couple of next step opportunities I want to bring to your attention is that we do have a next op- opportunity uh, that we've been, we, we launched last Sunday on Sunday evening, Sunday afternoons, five o'clock, uh, our, uh, uh, the meaning of marriage seminar that we're doing. But this is a next step opportunity for you to invest in your own growth and to invest in your marriage. And I do believe that, that, that it's really wise to invest in your marriage on an annual basis. It, it could be reading a book together. It could be attending a seminar like this. It could be going to a weekend away with like a uh, weekend to remember. I can't remember the thing with the family life ministry. It could be that. It could be a lot of things. I'm sorry. I need more cold medicine, okay? Um, so uh, it, it could be that. Another next step opportunity I want to let you know about is that uh, a next step opportunity to serve is that in, in our church, we have uh, a lot of children for a church our size, and we love our children, right? Uh, and, and to be honest with you, that's what makes a good children's ministry is people who love children. And uh, But what we need is we need a few people who are willing to take that next step to step up and get involved in our children's ministry and Christy is going to have a uh, sign-up table for you, uh, for those of you who are interested in being involved in that. But I just want to let you know there is uh, opportunity to serve, and we need people who are willing to step up and, and take that step. So I uh, want to bring that to your attention. Uh, I'd like to encourage you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I can't see what I'm looking at. All right. Uh, Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. Um, there, there's a, a young boy, young man, um, high school age. His name is Nicholas. And Nicholas is a little bit of a computer geek, okay? He's, he's a little bit of a computer geek that he loves, he loves spending time on his computer because it's the way that, that he can kind of forget about how much his life sucks, and Nicholas, you know, for him, it's like it's it's his way of escaping that 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 his parents are fighting all the time. His parents are fighting all the time at school. He's been struggling with some bullies. And and it's his way of just kind of shutting out the rest of the world and how miserable his life feels at times. Uh, Sarah, Sarah is uh, she's really really pretty, really really popular. And really, really lonely. I mean, people are nice to her and stuff, but she, um, she has, uh, uh, people are nice to her, but, but there's a difference between being nice and being a friend. And even though she's popular, she feels very, very lonely. Um, Ira, Ira's a billionaire. He's been married three times. And he looks like he's going to have the opportunity to be married a fourth. He's got four adult kids who um, 
They won't speak with him. They don't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, People say that Ira is uh, a success, but he knows better. He knows better. His life is empty, and he has no joy. Does the Bible speak to people like Nicholas? Does the Bible speak to people like Sarah? Does the Bible speak to people like Ira? And does the Bible speak to people like you and me? Does the Bible speak to people who come from every different walk of life? And if so, how? This morning, I want us to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we did a message on Acts 16 to kind of lay a foundation for understanding uh, for understanding the book of Philippians. And if you weren't here for that Sunday, I'd strongly encourage you to listen to the message. I just think understanding how the church got started there might be really helpful for you for understanding the book as a whole. And then last week, we kind of did an overview of the whole book. But this week, what we want to do is we want to start at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And, and what we have said so far about Philippians is this, is the message of Philippians is that there is, there is joy in the gospel. That's what the message of Philippians is about. There's joy in the gospel. And as we go through this book together, every time we come to the word joy or rejoice or glad, I'm going to encourage you to circle that. Every time we come to the word gospel, I'm going to encourage you to circle that. Because what I want you to see as we work through Philippians is that there's joy in the gospel. There may not be joy in being a billionaire. There may not be joy in being popular. There may not be joy in a lot of things in life, but there is joy in the gospel. Real joy. Accessible joy. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Let's stop there for just a second. Real, real interesting. Uh, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all this. You know, it's, it's really fascinating we're very comfortable with talking about these venerated people, the saints of old. We, we tend to think of people like John, who wrote the Gospel of John as St. John. Or we think of Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew as St. Matthew. Or we think of Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians as St. Paul. And we tend to think of ourselves not so much as saints, but more as, well, Christians. Okay? Christians. It's interesting to me that when Paul writes to the Philippians, he doesn't say St. Paul to the Christians in Philippi. No, he says slave Paul. Slave Paul, slave of Christ. Uh, Paul and Timothy, bond service of Christ, to, to all the saints in Philippi. By the way, uh, one of the favorite ways that Paul liked to address Christians wasn't Christian. In fact, he never uses the term to speak of someone who follows Jesus. Uh, more often, like 60 different times, he uses the word saint to describe people like you and me. 
Isn't that fascinating? And what makes us saints? Christ Jesus. We're saints in Christ Jesus. We're not saints by our doing. We're saints by, by what Christ has done. And he says this. He says, he says, uh, he says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy. Circle that word. Always offering prayer with joy. In my every prayer for you all. Real quick, I just want to pause here. Always offering prayer with joy. I would underline that phrase. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about joy-filled prayer. There's something that I believe that we see here that that I'm going to call joy-filled prayer. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel. And circle the word gospel. Okay? In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day, that's Acts 16, when they all became believers, uh, from your first day, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, again, circle that word, uh, since... Uh, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve of the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Joy-filled prayer. I think in this text what we see is we see the joy-filled prayer of the affectionate heart. Uh, Interesting that Philippians is probably the most affectionate letter that Paul writes. Now, sometimes we think of Paul as being a great scholar or a great theologian, and he was. I mean, the guys, he had, he was just, he had a mammoth intellect. He did. As you read through the epistles of Paul, it's just, it's obvious this guy was, he was brilliant. Um, but he was more than that. That, that. that Paul, yeah, yeah, Paul was brilliant, and he was a scholar in his world, and he was a theologian, but he was more than that. He, he had a passion for people. You see that in this letter to the Philippians. He talks about his affection for them. He talks about, about having them in his heart. Now, four thoughts I want to share with you from this text today about joy-filled prayer. And the first one is this, is the joy-filled prayer is filled with gratitude for gospel partners. Now, this may feel like a stretch for you, but this little principle, people, is 
hugely important. Okay? This principle is, is joy-filled prayer is filled with gratitude for gospel partners. Let me ask you a question. Do you have gospel partners in your life? You have gospel partners. Now, first of all, let me, let me talk about where do I see gospel partner in, in, in this text, okay? Is that, that, that what, what Paul says is, he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every remembrance of you all in view of your participation in the gospel. Now, participation is a really important word. If you have an NIV text or an ESV text in front of you, it says partner in the gospel, okay? It says partner in the gospel. And the word uh, that, that we have here is a word koinonia. It's a word you've probably heard of before, koinonia. It's, it's repeated again when he talks about being partakers of grace, koinonia in grace, which I think is, is, is he's, he's uh, making the same point, just saying it a little bit differently, which is what good teachers do. And what he does is he's talking with them about what he calls the fellowship of the gospel. Now, now sometimes, when I was a kid, we grew up and we would have these, you know, we'd have quote-unquote Christian fellowship, which usually meant that we took a meal together, which is great. It's, it's great. It really is. You can have real fellowship there. You know, and, and we think of fellowship as maybe donuts and coffee, okay? Uh, and, and that can be great, too. I love coffee and I love donuts, okay? Uh, but, 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 but fellowship... Fellowship is more than friendship. Did you know that? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's like it's a reason that all these different translations of the Bible struggle with knowing what's the right way to interpret this and translate this word into English so that we really grasp the idea by it. Now, now this is extremely hard for us to understand in 21st century North America. It is extremely difficult for us in 21st century North America. You know why? We live in a world of disposable relationships. We do. We live in a world of disposable relationships and throwaway marriages. And we live in a world where um, the mobility uh, of our lives is constantly taking us elsewhere. Or the busyness of our lives keeps us from really... We would do well to study the lives of our brothers and sisters in Jesus and other parts of the world, in places like Asia and Africa and South America, where they understand this uh, this richness of relationship better than we do. We tend to individualize the Christian life, which is the antithesis, uh, the, the antithesis of the teaching of the New Testament. The Christian life was always intended to be enjoyed in community, to be engaged in, in community. That the fellowship of the gospel and, 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 and gospel partners is, is like, uh, and it's, it's interesting is that, that Francis Chan and, and Tony Morita and their, their commentary on Philippians and then Archant Hughes did the same thing in his commentary years before them. But they talk, it's real interesting is when they talk about this idea, uh, of the fellowship of the gospel, which is, is interesting. Kent Hughes, he, that's what he, uh, that's, that was the name that he chose for his commentary on Philippians is the fellowship of the gospel. And what they did is they, they compared it to, uh, how many of y'all have read The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings? Are you seen the movies? The, the Lord of the Rings? 
And in The Lord of the Rings, the, the very first movie is called The Fellowship of the Ring. And in The Fellowship of the Ring, what you have is you have these four. If you've never watched the movie or you've never read the book, you are betraying yourself from one of the great stories, okay? It's just a story that everybody should read or you should watch it at least. But, but in that, you have these four little hobbits. These four little hobbits who almost seem, you know, they can't even care for themselves. You know, how could they save the world? Okay, Middle Earth, all right? But you have these four hobbits and, and you have these two men. You got Bormer and you got Aragon who are these, 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 uh, warriors. And, and you got, you got this elf, Legolas, who with a bow and arrow, let me tell you, I mean, you know, with his eyes closed, he'll, you know, with one arrow, he'll kill everybody, all right? And, and then you got this dwarf, you know, with this big battle axe and, 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 and then you got, um, you got the wizard Gandalf. And, and they are the fellowship of the ring. They're the fellowship of the ring. They are, they, they, um, do they fight with each other sometimes? Yeah. Uh, do, do, do they have differences? Yeah. But they're the fellowship of the ring. And they will do anything for the sake of the cause. Oh, this is what I feel like is, is missing somewhat in in the church and in North America today. See, they're willing to do anything for the sake of the call. People, we have a mission greater than that. They are willing to do anything for the the sake of, of taking the ring of power to the land of Mordor, to Mount Doom, to destroy the ring and the fire. They're willing to do anything. They're willing to die. They're willing to suffer. I would rather die than suffer. Because if I die, I go to be with Jesus, all right? But they're willing to die. They're willing to suffer. They're willing to lay down their lives, not just for the cause, but they're willing to lay down their lives for one another. Yeah, Bormer gets misguided at one point, but eventually he dies defending his comrades. And that's what we need. See, we need gospel friends, gospel partners. We need people who are willing to die for us and with us and that we are willing to die for and with for the sake of the mission. Sake of the mission. To die, yes, to die. Embrace death. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's why Jesus says, if anyone wishes to follow me, let him take up his cross. That's not a sentimental taking up the cross. That's not putting a little gold cross on your neck on a chain. Talking about taking up an instrument of death, suffering. That's what it means to be a part of the fellowship of the gospel. That we are willing to suffer, sacrifice, and die for the sake of the gospel. See, Paul is writing to the fellowship of the gospel, the Philippians. And and were they willing to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of the call? It's it's interesting as Paul later in, in, in Philippians, he says, you yourselves also know Philippians. 
This is in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, you, you, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, he goes to Thessalonica and elsewhere. He says, after my first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. In other words, that the Macedonians were willing to generously sacrifice and give to help Paul in the proclamation of the gospel elsewhere. Well, we read about this also in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, that Paul writes to the, the Corinthians. The Corinthians were a very, very wealthy church. And he writes to them about the Macedonians, about the Philippians. And he says about them, he says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. What's the grace that's been given? What's the grace that's been given? It was their rich generosity. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which was, has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction... You know what great ordeal of affliction is? It's more than having a cold, okay? It's more than, you know, I got passed over for a promotion. It's more than, you know, sometimes the person I live with can be difficult. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, interesting, Abundance of joy and generosity go together. Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, they were poor, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. That's giving. They gave extravagantly. For I I testify that they, uh, that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation, koinonia and the support of the saints. See, people, when the gospel is everything to us, when the gospel is everything to us, we're willing to do anything and everything for the sake of the gospel. We're willing to suffer. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to lay down our lives. But but I want to get back to this point, is, is the whole point of this text in Philippians is, is, is part of what I was saying here, is joy-filled prayer is filled with gratitude for gospel partners. I wanted to kind of explain to you what a gospel partner is. But I want to come back to this idea of joy, and I want to, I want to underline, and, and I want to, to, to focus your, uh, your, your thinking around this idea that joy-filled prayer is filled with, with what? Gratitude. Gratitude. Where do we see that in the text? I thank my God. I thank my God. That's gratitude. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy. Folks, what what I want you to understand is this, is you cannot be joyful without being grateful. Did you know that? You can't be joyful without being grateful. You know, sometimes people, they want more and more and more and more. They want more and more. They want more. They want a nicer car. They want a nicer home. They want a nicer job. They want more. They want more. They want more. They want more. They get more. They get more. They get more. And you know what? They want more. They want more. They want more. Why? 
Because they think that having what they want is going to make them joyful. But people, it's not until we are truly grateful that we can even begin to understand and experience joyful. That the reason for some people that there's so little joy in their lives is because there's so little gratitude in their lives. But folks, it's not just about being grateful for what you have. Paul wasn't grateful for what he had. He was grateful for who he loved. Do do you understand? Do you see this in the text? He's not, he's not, his, his, his focus and his gratitude isn't around his circumstances, although I think he was grateful in his circumstances. I mean, remember, where's he at when he's writing this text? He's in prison. But he's grateful for the people in his life. Folks, Every day, we need to, 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 to be grateful for the people who are in our lives, our gospel friends. And this is what concerns me in America. And it's what, you know, the, the hardest thing that's been for me to watch as a pastor is watching people who little by little let friendships, gospel friendships slip away. Maybe it's because they get busy with other things and then over time they just slowly disappear and fade away from the church. Maybe it's because they get busy with all these different kinds of activities or maybe it's because they're in pain and they're hurt. And slowly, little by little, they begin to withdraw. And and, and, and what grieves me is because it's kind of like, you know, I've talked about this before, but it's like watching the National Geographic, you know, on PBS of the zebra, you know, that, you know, the zebra that isolates itself from the rest of the herd. You know what happens? You know, the, the zebra that's running from the lion and, and it decides that he's going to be safer off by himself instead of with the herd. What happens to the zebra that gets all by himself? He's lunch for a lion. Okay. And, and, and probably nothing grieves me as a pastor more is watching people, little by little, let go of their gospel friendships. And folks, we need, we need our gospel partnerships, and we need to be grateful for our gospel partners. There, there's, I'm sorry, I'm going too long on one point. Uh, secondly, the second thing I want you to see this is, is joyful prayers filled with confidence in God's saving work in our lives. Where do I see that? Verse 6. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began... It's interesting. Is it Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, and view of your participation in the gospel from the first day in until now. For I am confident of this very thing, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Look at that verse closely. Verse 6, because Paul says, you know, this is what I'm confident of. Verse 6 is really important. See, salvation is the work of God from beginning to end. He, God, who began a good work in you, the Philippians, will perfect it, when? Until the day of Christ Jesus. That, that, see, see, um, it's not like God starts the work of salvation. You know, when you pray to receive Christ and then somehow you finish the work by living a good life. A lot of people, they believe this, 
And, and, you know, I struggled with this as a kid. I did. I struggled with this. I struggled with thinking that somehow I needed to add to the work of God. I struggled with thinking that somehow that, yeah, yeah, God saved me, but it was my responsibility to keep myself saved. In other words, it was a work that he began, but it was a work that I had to finish. And I was always afraid of falling short. I was. By the way, you know why I was always afraid of falling short? Because I was always falling short. It's like I knew my capacity for sin. And and with that uncertainty, not knowing that my salvation was complete from beginning to end, this work of God, with that uncertainty and that fear, it's hard to be joyful and fearful at the same time. And, 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 and what Paul's trying to reiterate here for the Philippians and what he, he's trying to reiterate for you and for me is that, that when God saved you and when he saved me, he began the work, he is doing the work, and he will finish the work. You are his from beginning to end. He's never going to let you go. Did you know that God will never let you go? I remember. I remember being at the uh, funeral of one of my buddies when I was a young man. And David, David was, um, well, he's a funny guy, good guy. Um, but um, he was always about this far from getting in a fight. I remember dragging him away from a fight at Six Flags in Dallas, Texas years ago. It's so interesting. And he had a couple of buddies. They got in a fight. They were at this bar in, in Little Rock. And, um, and, and, and they went out to a parking lot to settle things. And, and the guy took out a 30-30 rifle, and he shot David's friend with the 30-30, shot him, narrowly missed his heart. And... Um, and the, the guy, that he fell back in the car um, bleeding, and the guy who was driving took off. But David had gotten out of the car to let his buddy out of the back. And, um, and, and the guy with a rifle went up, and he hit David in the head with rifle butt and uh, hit him pretty hard, hit him real hard. Uh, police found him later. And they, they just thought it was dirty laundry in the parking lot, but it was David. And they took him to the hospital, <clears throat> and he was, um, and, and they just thought he was on drugs or something, which, you know, David partied a lot and stuff like that. And and um, and I remember uh, another friend of mine, John Neves, had gone with David's mom to pick him up from the hospital, and they took him home. And he was throwing up and stuff, you know, and, and uh, all the signs of uh concussion but apparently the medical professionals didn't recognize it and david ended up going in a coma and he died and i remember at the funeral at the funeral we were my my pastor growing up bud hart did the funeral and 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 um and and when we were at six flags that one time you know david and robin my pastor's daughter were, were in this roller coaster together and david was like you know Hey, if you ride with me on the roller coaster, no hands. You can't hang on, you know. And I remember Bud Hart saying, you know, that's a little bit the way David was. David was this kind of no-hands guy. He didn't want to hang on. But he said, this one I want you to know is that even if David wasn't hanging on to God, God was hanging on to David. 
I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that. Is that God hangs on to us even when we don't hang on to him. From beginning to end, the work of salvation is a work of God. He who began a good work in you will uh, perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, two other quick points. Third is joyful prayers filled with affection uh, for his or her gospel partners. I've already kind of alluded to this. Verse seven, four is uh, only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Do you see Paul's affection? You know, he, he has this affection for them. In, in, in verse eight, he says, for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. But joyful prayer is filled with affection for his or her gospel partners. It, it, you know, it's interesting. What I'd like to say for you is this, is that, that when we, when our hearts are full of affection, filled with affection for other people, there's less room for complaining about our circumstances. See, Paul is in prison, but he's not complaining or griping about his current circumstances. Instead, he's speaking of his affection for the Philippians. And the fourth thing I want you to see in this prayer is this, is that joy-filled prayer prays that the love of our gospel partners will increase in knowledge and discernment. In verse 9, Paul says, In this I pray, by the way, by the way, what do you pray for? Don't tell me. What do you pray for? Don't tell me. I want you to think about right now, what are you praying for? Praying for a raise at work, praying for a new job promotion, praying for an A on your exam, but not cracking the book open to study. Well, what, what are you praying for? And this is what Paul prayed for. This I pray, that your love may abound. See, Paul wasn't praying for his release from prison. Yeah, maybe. But what we see here in the text is this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more. I mean, if I was in prison, I'd be praying for release from prison. I'd be praying for me if I was in prison, especially a Roman prison. Paul's praying for the Philippians. I I pray that your love will abound still more and more. He's praying that they will have this ever-increasing, abounding love. He says, I pray that your love will abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Why does he want their love to not just be growing, but growing in knowledge and discernment? So that you may approve of the things that are excellent. See, that's why, Eric, I need to pray for you that your love will abound more and more in real knowledge. And and why you need to pray the same thing for me in real knowledge and discernment. Why? So that we may approve of the things that are excellent. That's why I need to pray the same thing for you, Steve. And Sandy, for you. Sharon, I need to pray that for you. Is that We need to, every day, be praying for one another. I need you praying for me, and you need me praying for you. This is something that God wants us to live together. He wants me to be praying this for you and for you to be praying this for me, that our love will abound more and more in real knowledge. Uh, and in discernment so that we will prove of the things that are excellent and why so that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness verse 11 so that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through jesus christ what is the fruit of righteousness that comes through jesus christ (laughs) the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. Why? To the glory and praise of God. See, that's why. You know, two phrases in this text I really didn't touch on, didn't highlight, but I've got them highlighted in my Bible. Um, in verse 6, Paul says, For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Important phrase. We see it repeated in verse 10. So that you may approve of the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Two different times. Two different times Paul speaks of the day. And, and what I want you to see and what I want you to understand is that a day is coming. A day is coming. A day is coming. It is a real day. It is a real day, just like tomorrow is a real day. A lot of us are getting ready for tomorrow. A lot of us are getting ready for tomorrow. What happens tomorrow? We go back to work. A lot of us are getting ready for tomorrow. Why? Why? What, what happens tomorrow? We have a test in school. A lot of us are getting ready for tomorrow. But are you getting ready for the day? The day. The day that matters more than any and every other day. The day that matters more than any and other day except the day that you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Unless you haven't asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. See, people, there are two ways to approach the day, the day of Christ. One way to approach the day of Christ is this. It's dread. It's dread. It looks a little bit like when you're a kid and mom says, wait till your dad gets home. What I'm saying is that one day Jesus is coming again. Uh, There's another way to approach the day of Christ, and it's a day of joy and anticipation. It's a day of, of when we get to celebrate being with him forever and ever. Paul's writing to the Philippians as those who will celebrate forever and ever. Uh, those that, that The reason that we're seeking to live a life that's righteous has nothing to do with ourselves. It has everything to do with God. Why? To the glory and praise of God. See, the reason that God wants the fruit of righteousness in your life and my life is to the glory and praise of God. The reason that God wants me to approve of the things that are excellent is for the praise and the glory of God in the day of Christ. And that's what he's wanting for you and for me. My question this morning for you is, are you ready for the day? Are you ready? Are you one of the saved? Are you one who has already said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. God, I've sinned against you. I've sinned in thought. I've sinned in deed. I don't deserve your grace and mercy, but I need it. I deserve your wrath. I deserve your judgment. I deserve condemnation. But what I need more than anything else is grace and mercy. Would you come into my life? Forgive my sin. Would you make me the kind of person you want me to be? And so what I want to ask you today is, is have you made that decision? 
And if you haven't yet done that, I want to invite you to do that. Today is your day of salvation so that you know you can celebrate when Christ comes. I, I, I did that many years ago. I just said a little prayer to God, and, and I'll say it for you now. And if this is your prayer, you can say it with me. You can just say it after me, phrase at a time. Lord Jesus, I need you. I ask you to come into my life and forgive my sin. God, I deserve your wrath. But I need your grace and mercy. I ask you to save me and to make me the kind of person you want me to be. If you prayed that prayer just now to God, you may not have said it word for word the way I said it. It doesn't matter. What really matters is the intent of your heart. That's what I want you to know is God saved you. He did. Um, you know, we're going to have a baptism in two weeks. Uh, if you've not yet been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, going public with your decision to follow Jesus is very important for you. It really is. And I'd like to encourage you to, to do that. Also, if you made that decision today, it's really important that you begin to make some connections with people who can help you uh, really get started in your walk with Jesus, and I'd like to help you do that. So before you leave today, please let me know you made that decision. You can do it in our, our bulletins. There's a little, um, I don't know what you call it, connection card to say, hey, Gary, I made that decision today. Make sure I have your name, your phone number, your uh, uh, your email, your visa card number, social security, passport. Just kidding. Uh, just make sure I have your contact information so I can get back with you. So, okay, let's pray, and I'll, I'll let you guys go. God, today we want to praise and worship you because you are worthy of our praise and our worship. You are a gracious and merciful God. And we are so grateful that you've saved us. We're so grateful, God, that uh, we're, I'm, on, I'm grateful, God, for gospel partners. I, I want to thank you for the people of this church who are my gospel friends, people who stick with me in thick and thin, people who fight for me, sometimes fight with me, for me. And uh, I want to thank you for those gospel friends. And, and Lord, what we want to do is we want to learn how to do this gospel friendship better, this gospel partnership better. We want to follow Jesus together, and we want to live his mission together. And, and we want to do it for the honor and the glory of your name. God, what I want to pray for in us is what Paul prayed for the Philippians. Lord, I pray that our love will increase more and more, that it will abound more and more that it will abound in real knowledge and in discernment. God, I pray this, that our love will abound in real knowledge and discernment so that we will approve of the things that are excellent, so that we will be sincere and blameless in the day of Christ Jesus, that we will be filled with the fruit of your righteousness for the praise and the glory of your name. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.